You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions to our email at letstalktorah at gmail.com and I will answer as many questions as I can. You know, Rosh Hashanah is not just around the corner. Rosh Hashanah is tomorrow night. And uh, what a year it's been. I mean, just that first thought, you know, uh, one of the most powerful prayers um, on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur also, by the way, is called the Nisana Tokef. Nisana Tokef just describes the judgment, God sitting in judgment, and the angels trembling, and people trembling, and everybody going in front of God one at a time, and uh, being judged. Then it continues to say something that, you know, a lot of times we read things, and we almost, certain things we listen to, who's going to be wealthy, who's going to be poor, yeah, we relate to stuff like that. Who's going to live, who's going to die, we relate to that stuff. But, you know, when there's, there's lines in there like, who by plague... Come on, who are we fooling? We read certain things. Plague is for 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Not nowadays. We don't have plagues nowadays. And look what happened with corona. You know, there's a lot of people who have suffered tremendously during corona. A lot of people it has gone by. It hasn't been so bad. Just talking to people, what's happening in the synagogues, and many synagogues are not opening. I know people, I spoke to a friend last night, when he goes to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, he expects 3,500 people in the sanctuary. He said there's going to be 15, and he's not one of them. He'll be on Zoom. So it's a, it's a different world. Even where I pray, there's indoors and outdoors. There's a beautiful porch we now built. So masks are indoors, uh, porches for people that don't want to have masks. I'm in like one of these funny positions. I told you guys a hundred times. I have the antibodies. I had COVID. But the fact is that if some people don't wear masks, so how do you know who doesn't have it? It's not like you're walking around with a sign, I had COVID, I don't need a mask. So it's almost like you're wearing a mask, you're inside, you don't want to wear a mask, you'll be outside, you'll, we'll be a little separate, but we'll all pray together. So it's just a, a wild, amazing year that we've been through in my blessing. I begin everybody, tell everybody happy and healthy new year, which is like a standard, like, you know, just off the cuff, everybody have a happy and healthy new year. I've been telling people a lot, really, really, this year we want a healthy new year. That's really what we want. I mean, we want a lot of stuff, but but I think that's uh, taking top billing right now. So um, I would like to share with you a beautiful email that I received from my son's school. And I've said this over numerous times. My son is studying in Jerusalem, and they're about to go under a second lockdown, which I'm not sure what that means for him yet. He'll tell me tomorrow, because he's kind enough to call me once a week. More than that, like, hello, like, why should he call his father more than once a week? But I'll take once a week. So um, for the Israeli government had a lot of rules, and originally they weren't going to let students in, 
but um, you're talking about tens of thousands of students. These children wanted to go study there, so they made it rather difficult. In other words, you couldn't even get on the plane without the entry permit. To get the entry permit, the school had to make the application. The school had to show that they had a way to quarantine. The school had to, the school had to say that they even have a um, that there's like an escrow account. So if the child misbehaves, you put him on a plane home. And uh, my son was in the Engedi, the Dead Sea area. Uh, it was a campus. He doesn't know how big. But each room basically had two bunk beds and two tables to study and a bathroom and a shower, and that was it. And a porch, which was 110 degrees outside, so they didn't wander on the porch too often. Food was, was pre-wrapped, delivered outside your door. Laundry, maybe they did laundry once a week. I joke, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. You know, it's a boy, who knows. Um, but they were, they were locked up for two weeks, and after those two weeks, so... You were, you were quarantining with people that you were going to continue to hang out with even out of quarantine. Then, out of the, by the way, again, for those who are not understanding, when people talk about a pod during corona, during now, during lockdowns, this is a pod. A pod means that you're only hanging out with a certain group of people. So if somebody, God forbid, comes down with the corona, that group gets locked up, but you don't affect thousands of others because your group is, is, is separate. So after two weeks, they went back to the Jerusalem neighborhood. They're quarantined to the neighborhood. So um, whatever, wherever the official streets are, I'm sure you go over a street or two, no one's, uh, no one's shooting anybody. But uh, my understanding is they're actually tracking cell phones. So if you're all of a sudden miles away from where you belong, um, they're going to come get you. It's, they're very, very strict. And even in the main study hall, there's, there's partitions built, big plexiglass partitions um, separating each group. So he was with a group of four, but then he had the, he has his, his you'd call it a dormitory room. It's really an apartment with 10 guys. All those 10 guys are in the same class. All those 10 guys, and there's probably about 30 of them in his group, they all study in the same area of the study hall. So they're all intertwined. They eat, those 30 guys eat together. You don't get to mix with all the other groups, not in the study hall, not where you're eating, not in your apartments. They're keeping everybody in pods. That's the bottom line. The word is pods. So I received a beautiful email from the administration. And I love this school because this school officially has about 13,000 students. And I get more personal attention from a school of 13,000 than some of my children who, who were in schools with 200 or 100. It's amazing. But they're good at it. So the, the, um, the email said that one of the administrators went over to one of the teachers and they're having a conversation about the boys that have gone through this quarantine. And the teacher said, think for a second, a year ago, and as Corona's been around five months, maybe we're getting close to six months. Go back a year. Imagine for a second telling these boys, or girls, by the way, the girls going to the seminary is going through the same thing. If you would like to join our school in Israel, you will have to be locked up for two weeks. And locked up means you're not going anywhere with a small group. Even when we unlock you, you're, you're quarantined to a neighborhood, so you can't... Just go tour and check out everything. You can't eat wherever you want. You gotta hope you got your pizza store and a schnitzel store or maybe a bakery like nearby. 
Um, and even in the study hall, we're going to be partitioning you off. You're going to be, you know, locked, not locked up anymore, but enclosed with a small group of people. How many boys, and girls the same, by the way, would say, hey, no problem. I could do this. I guarantee you, every boy, every girl would say, what are you, crazy? I'm going to go to Israel to study, um, and that's what you're telling me I have to do? I'm not doing it. I'll stay home. I'll find a school here local. They're not going to lock me up. Nobody would do it. That was a year ago. So a year ago, if I would have asked you, you had to put your mind in that, in that mindset, right? If I would have asked you a year ago, there's no way you, you would have said yes. But a year later, you did it. So what does that show us? That shows us um, the strength, the resilience that children that adults, if they so choose, have. A little bit, uh, you know, we could follow up on the, the last show we talking about entrepreneurship and, and success and, and what it takes. Um, but this is really what it is. We don't know what we have inside of us, right? We say in Yiddish, right? What's in your kishkis? What are you made of? We all like to think we're made of really tough material and we can do anything, but we don't even know what doing anything means but it's it's amazing it's beautiful it's uplifting when you see people that are in a situation that you could never have imagined they would have to do and they did it and they smiled and they were happy and they put up with it uh, and and that is a lesson right that's a lesson for all of us that no matter what the situation you can do it if god put you in that situation you can do it. God's not putting you into a situation that you can't do. What would be the point? It's not giving you a test you can't, you can't pass. It always reminds me, I had a, a social studies teacher, Mr. C, because we don't want to say his name. I don't even know if he's alive. He prided himself on having tests that you couldn't get 100 because he would ask questions he didn't teach you. I mean, it was like strange. Like Maybe he mentioned it offhanded, and if you asked him if it's on the test, he would say only the notes on the board are on the test. And uh, but he put on it down anyways. You know, it was like he couldn't handle you should get a hundred or even nineties was something he was not happy with, which was like a little crazy. What is the point of taking a test where if I studied all the material and I know everything you taught, why shouldn't I be allowed to get a hundred? I should be allowed to pass. So to set up a test where I'm going to fail is ridiculous and. It, is of really no purpose. I'm a third grade teacher. To give them a test on stuff we didn't learn is a complete waste of time. Except to show I'm a great guy, but and I'm a little smarter than you. But for the, otherwise, who needs it? So if God gives you a test, if God puts you in a situation that you're not ready for, that you don't think you can handle, it's not true. It has to be that you can pass with flying colors if you so choose. And these boys and girls, all those ones went to study, they're in, these, in all these different quarantines and lockdown situations. The fact is, they did it. They did it. They were successful. And um, they deserve more praise than Wave 2. If, if the Israeli government, after the holidays, is going to allow the next wave of students to come in, with the same rules and regulations, and I don't know if they're going to let, uh, you know, things change. It's a different country. Uh, who knows what they're going to say. 
But the second wave of guys already know that the first wave did it. So if you already saw other people do it, it's not such a big deal. But the, the, the praise goes to those who show they could do it the first time. Right? Those guys, and girls again, really deserve a lot of accolades. They, they did something that we, as adults, if you made us do that, put us in a teeny little room with three other people. I know people were quarantined in, in Manhattan in small apartments, but that's family. It's, and still, you might have gotten on each other's nerves. These guys were really, really amazing. So it's just a, an amazing lesson. It's been a, an, an unusual year. We're coming up with a new year. Last year is behind us, getting ready to start the next year. And, uh, but one thing we did learn is, is we have what it takes. You have what it takes. You can do amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, you don't even know it. But sometimes God gives you a little glimpse. That's, by the way, the idea of a test. When God gives a test, it's not that he doesn't know if you could do it or not. God knows what you could do. But you don't know what you could do. Right? Similar to Abraham. Again, it's one of the, the highlights we talk about on, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, that Abraham, uh, with the binding of Isaac, he, he brought Isaac up as a sacrifice. And he was, he was uh, God had told him to sacrifice Isaac. He was ready to do it. He was like right there until God says at the last moment, stop. So God didn't know that Abraham would do it. Of course God knew. But God needed to show Abraham that Abraham could do it. That's part of a test. When God gives a test, you need to know. You need to know that you have the ability to pass the test. We don't like tests. We say in prayers, God, do me a favor. I don't want the test because maybe I have the ability to pass it. But most of the time... I may not be successful, and I'd rather not find out. So we ask God, we don't want tests. But in this situation, um, the boys were fantastic. I keep saying boys because I have a son that's doing it. If I had a daughter going through it, I'd say girls. But it happens to be it's my son, so I keep saying boys. But please, don't take it like boys, girls. I'm not, I'm not into that. But uh, the story is my son, so I keep saying boys. Okay. So um, what's interesting again, and we talked about it just before, the synagogues being empty, and I, I spoke about this for two minutes uh, last Saturday night uh, before we started what's called the Slichot Prayers. Really, no one was supposed to speak in the synagogue. They were just supposed to have a quick prayer. But they called the prayers 15 minutes too early or 10 minutes too early. And I knew that. And I told them, I said, on a normal year, I speak for 10, 15 minutes. This year, I'm not supposed to talk. We want to move things along. But there were, people were there. And it's not good. People should hang around with nothing to do. So therefore, I spoke for a few minutes. But um, I spoke about the, this, you know, the, the biggest hit, at least to the Jewish people, certainly Orthodox, but even not, even not Orthodox. Conservative reform maybe even worse. And that's the synagogues. Because that, the, the, the shul, the synagogue, is a central point for Jewish life. Men go to pray three times a day and... And holiday services, and certainly Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and and the rabbi. I mean, this is a very important place in in the Jewish yearly cycle. And COVID said you can't go anywhere. And COVID said we don't want groups of people getting together. And now people got used to not going to pray. They do pray at home. They don't pray at home. You know, I can't speak for everybody. 
And I'm not saying when I prayed at home, I didn't like it. It was nice to be on my back porch and, and me and God and hang out and my pace and when I felt like uh, starting, when I felt like ending. It's very nice. You can get used to it. But at the end of the day, you, you, you lost the, what you felt was a necessity for your Jewishness. You, you felt you had to go pray in a synagogue. And now you're telling me, oh, I'll do a Zoom. You're telling me, well, I can pray at home. You're not the same person anymore. It's not the same, and and the fact that the synagogues, the shuls are gonna are gonna have so many people, whether they're scared, whether they um, have a good excuse not to come, this is a really big hit. This is something that's really gonna be hard on a lot of people. I mean, let's take it a step back. Oh, Rosh Hashanah, when I was a kid, maybe even a teenager, uh, probably even older. Um, I used to dread Rosh Hashanah, such a and Yom Kippur even more. Such a long day, all day in prayer. After I used to count the pages. I used to look at the clock and say, "Okay, according to my it's called the Machs in my book. I have two hundred pages left, and it usually takes about two hours. It's okay, a hundred pages every hour and." And 60, about a minute and a half per page. Oh, but here we skip a few pages. And this is what I was doing. I was a kid. Because I, I didn't get it. And and unfortunately, now that I got it, but now if people aren't going to go to synagogue, they're going to lose that one thing that they always had. And that was the as we get older, we recognize, we realize that the idea of Rosh Hashanah is me and God. God comes down, he brings his presence down. You do feel it, you don't feel it. That's what you have to work on. And God says, talk to me. Yes, our job is to, to make God king and to re-inaugurate, but, but it's me and God. I'm in synagogue, I get to open my prayer book, and I'm talking, and God is listening. I, I have the king's ear, but I, I, I'm given the opportunity to create a special closeness that's much harder to do the rest of the year. And the best place to do that, of course, in a synagogue. At home, there's a bazillion things that are, that, are, that are distracting you, whether it's the kids, whether it's who knows what. Noise, the house, just you can't, you, can't, you can't really communicate the way you should when you're not in synagogue. Synagogue, we're all there for the same reason. We're all praying, we're all singing, we're all getting emotional because I know I'm talking to God. Like, the day's not long enough. Right? You know, I, I enjoy the day. And now, we're, you know, the, 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 the fact that synagogues have taken a hit, anybody who's not going to be working hard to get to synagogue or is in a situation where they can't go, they're, they're now losing that opportunity. I'm not saying they can't do it at home. But realistically, it can't be the same. And as soon as it's not the same, now you start to get depressed. Oh, it wasn't such a good year. Oh, I, I didn't feel anything. Eh, I don't feel anything. What do I need it for? And that's terrible. And that's something that's all come about because of corona. But, but we need to somehow work on whatever situation you're in, whatever your synagogue looks like. You're spread six feet apart. And, but at the end of the day, it's supposed to be you and God. And you're telling God, I want you to be my king. And if you're my king... And I'm your, your servant. you got to take care of me. That's what kings do. I can't take care of myself. It's all coming from you, God. Take care of me. 
that is part of the conversation. Part is I'm asking for things. I, certainly we're looking for forgiveness. We're looking to be written down in the book of life and a, and a, and a, and a, and a new year and a healthy year. We're looking for all that stuff. But I got to be able to have that conversation. And that's part of the difficulty this year. Can I manage that conversation in a different situation? Now, following everything I said till now, you could do anything. You have the ability. You, you have the inner strength. You have the resilience. You can do it. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not even saying it'll feel the same. But our attitude certainly has to be that, uh, that I can do it. Obviously, one of the big things on Rosh Hashanah is the chauffeur, which, again, is a problem. How are you going to hear a chauffeur if you can't go to synagogue? Now, I happen to blow it home for people. So you want to come to my house? No problem. You're all invited. Somebody called me. Oh, Rabbi Jacobson, um, what should I do? I can't go to synagogue this year. You know, with Corona, I said, you can come to my house. I'll go out in the street. I'll blow for anybody who comes. Oh, what time should I come? It doesn't really matter. Whenever you come, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. So she said, wow, that's so nice. She didn't know because she doesn't live in my street. My street knows. And if they come to, you know, this one comes now and this one comes later, uh, I'm in the middle of eating. But so what? Everybody wants to hear a chauffeur. A chauffeur is, is, is that integral part. That's what, like the symbol of Rosh Hashanah. Everybody knows is the chauffeur. And it's interesting. The question is why? Why did the chauffeur become the big deal? The chauffeur we blow, one of the reasons we blow the chauffeur is to remember the story of Abraham Binding Isaac, right? The story I told you before that Abraham brought Isaac up as a sacrifice, and at the last minute, God said, Don't kill Isaac. So Abraham found a ram nearby, and he slaughters that ram, and it's the, the chauffeur, the horn of that ram, which is symbolic of, of, uh, of what Abraham did. And we blow that to remind God what Abraham did. Not that God needs reminding, but it, it helps us with our merits by its called remembrance. But why the chauffeur? Why, why was that the instrument that was chosen? So, as always, there's a good story. The story is told of Aryeh Levine. He was, um, he was the chaplain for the Jewish prisoners when the British were in charge of Palestine. And he went every Sabbath, and he spoke to people, and he prayed with people, and he brought secret messages to people, and he medicines and messages back and forth, husbands and wives. He was really an amazing person. He was a big, big rabbi, and he's spending his time with all these criminals. That's, that's what he did. He, I mean, it, it, there's so many things about him, but one little faster was he took care of all these criminals, and they're in jail for a reason, most of them. So uh, one time he shows up. The guard didn't know him. He comes with his pass. Say, I'm the chaplain. I'm supposed to go in. And the guard says, eh, you rabbis, hey, you don't really want to be here. I don't believe this pass. You're wasting my time. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. You're not getting in. Another guy standing there says, come on, this rabbi comes every week. Eh, he just what you think he's doing. He's altruistic. He probably gets paid. If we throw him out, he'll get paid anyways. I'm sure he'll be happy to leave. Okay? So they send him away, but it's a jail's a big place. So he, he walks around, finds another entrance to this jail, and uh, shows the guard his pass. The guard says, no problem, go in. He goes and he prays with this one and he talks to that one. He's going around. And, and sometime later, the original guard that didn't let him in notices that, uh, that he got in. So he says, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing if you think about it. This rabbi, he's real. Because if if I thought he was in it for the money. 
But if he was in it for the money, he could easily say, hey, I tried. They didn't let me in, but I did try, so you have to pay me. The fact that he tried to find another way to get in, it just simply means he's doing it for the right reasons, and I really respect that rabbi. Okay. That's the same story with Abraham here and the binding of Isaac. If Abraham was just doing it because God said he had to do it, but he didn't really want to do it, so as soon as God says, stop, he's out of there. Instead, what does Abraham do? He's looking around. He's got to give a sacrifice to God. He's got to do something. He's got to do something um, to sacrifice to God. That's what he needs. So finding that ram and sacrificing that ram means that Abraham was not looking for a way out. He did it because he felt this was important, and that's what we do. We're blowing shofar. That reminds God. That's what we're blowing our shofar to to tell God, look what we did. And here comes my music. Roshan is coming. I wish all my listeners and friends a happy and healthy new year. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to everyone for and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, which will be next year. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Oh, baby, oh, baby. Stop this year, right?